Strange, you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, Spiro Economopoulos from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival joins us. But first, we chat with Anna Brown from Equality Australia about the looming return of the Religious Discrimination Bill. It was actually uh, the marriage equality debate that prompted uh, the no voting MPs to really push for a um, so-called religious freedom inquiry that has led to this outcome. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we have a bill um, that's been through two drafts, but we don't yet have a final version of the bill. But the last version, I mean, every version of the bill has been deeply concerning to um, Equality Australia. We've consistently um, opposed uh, this legislation because we're deeply concerned about the impact it will have on, not just on LGBTI people, but women, people with disabilities, and ironically, people of faith. And we're seeing organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby, um, you know, really uh, campaigning very hard to get um, what they want to see um, in this legislation. So we very much encourage uh, people out there listening in uh, to do what they can um, to fight back against these regressive laws. And we can talk a bit about more that a bit more if you like. It sounds like this bill has been implemented or will be put into the parliament, not because it's needed, but because of political purposes. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there is a gap when it comes to our federal discrimination law architecture. So we have um, laws that protect, uh, I mean, people may be aware we have a Race Discrimination Act, an Age Discrimination Act, a Sex Discrimination Act, um, a Disability Discrimination Act, and and a number of different laws that protect different groups. And it's true that people of faith aren't protected at a national level in the same way as those other groups are, but... Um, instead of bringing forward a standard anti-discrimination law that looks like the other laws that exist at a state and territory level, and I should say that people of faith do have recourse in the majority of jurisdictions at a state and territory level, so it's not as though um, people of faith can't bring a complaint um, if if they are treated unfairly, and indeed we have federal uh, workplace protections so that people can bring um, a complaint under the Fair Work Act and, in, and it, in an employment context. So it's so the gap the gap exists, but it's um, it's it's not uh, the government's proposal to fill that gap is is deeply concerning because it doesn't look like those other pieces of legislation. It contains a number of clauses, um, for instance, that would see um, would enable health professionals to review refuse health services to people based on religious grounds, um, even when it would adversely impact on a patient's health. Um, We'd see really concerning um, provisions that override state, territory and federal discrimination laws. So um, laws that exist in Victoria, for example, that provide protection for LGBTIQ plus people would be overridden by uh, the proposed Section 42, which allows people to say derogatory, offensive or harmful things in the workplace, schools or or service settings in or about religion. And those provisions override um, existing protections. In fact, that's all they do. They say, if you say, say, um, make a statement um, and it's in or about religion, uh, it uh, the protection that this federal law gives is that you can't be subjected to a discrimination complaint under another law. So even from 
the perspective of uh, someone who thinks that states should be able to, um, state parliaments should be able to make their laws and not be interfered with by the by the Commonwealth. Um, this provision is offensive, but at a very principled level, it's it's deeply concerning that uh, all of these laws that have been hard fought for by communities across the country um, and legislated and been in place for decades could be overridden by by this proposed federal law. And then we get to the, I'll just, there's a couple more. <laughs> um, um, we get to the so-called Falau clauses, um, but they, they deal with um, statements um, that are made outside the workplace based in or about religion, but we're talking about um, protections that would undermine inclusive workplaces or and also um, professional um, contexts. So uh, it would restrict qualifying bodies and professional bodies from disciplining um, practitioners that make comments um, sort of outside work as well. So we just think overall, um, I won't go into all the detail, but the bill goes too far and has these dangerous, unprecedented provisions that wind back equality for our communities, but also um, women, people with disability, and ironically, people of faith. Has Equality Australia met with Attorney General Michaelia Cash about the bill and what has she said? Yeah, we had a meeting with the attorney um and a number of LGBTI groups um, uh, and uh, some government backbenchers uh, last Monday. And uh, it, was a ch- it was a really good opportunity for us to put forward our concerns. So we made it really clear that these um, clauses were of deep concern to our communities. We've made it clear, sort of feel like sometimes um, I'm just repeating myself um, like a broken record, but it's it's absolutely vital that everyone out there and everyone in our parliament understands how dangerous this this legislation is. Um, and you know, she she listened to us and um, was respectful and receptive in the meeting. But I think there's a number of process. I mean, there's no guarantees that there will be changes to the bill, and we have to see um, what the outcome of the um, processes. So the Attorney General would need to put forward a proposal to Cabinet and then that proposal, if it's approved, will, will be considered by the, the party room and then the Parliament. And, of course, we know um, the government doesn't have the numbers in the Upper House, so in the Senate. So this is why we've been encouraging um, and working with groups across the country to um, make sure that, that members of the crossbench um, aware, are aware of our concerns as well. Uh, but we, we'd absolutely urge um, everyone out there, if they if they do have some time, to write to um, the, their their local member. We have a tool um, that's particularly focused on government MPs and senators at the moment, because it's the government that's making a decision at the moment about which what sort of bill, if any, will come out of um, their decision making processes. So we'd really encourage people to um, to get online and to uh, we've got an action at our website so equalityaustralia.org.au um, on the front page you can see a link to freedom from discrimination and, and please do um, write to your local government MP or senator because they need to know why they should stand up for laws that protect all of us equally rather than these divisive um, damaging pr- proposals by the government and that are being backed by conservative Christian uh, forces. 
What was your reading of Michaela Cash's position? What was her? What was the sense that you got from your discussions with her about about where she lies politically on this? I mean, she's got enormous power on what goes into the bill that goes to Parliament. Well, the impression I got is that she's genuinely trying to um, hear all sides of the debate, and we certainly, you know, we got a, a good hearing from her. Um, but she's, I assume, but we didn't talk about this, that she's also meeting with a number of other stakeholders as well. So um, she, she'll she be hearing um, very different things from other religious organisations, which is why we're working with um, faith-based organisations and, and groups across um, the sector and industry and unions to make sure that there is a chorus of concern about this legislation, that it's, it, it obviously impacts on LGBTIQ plus people and making that heard loud and clear, but also that this is, this is not a good story for workers. It actually makes things more difficult for employers who, are, who want to create inclusive work environments um, for their staff and that um, for the health and medical professions, this is this is deeply concerning as well. So you almost you line up all of the the um, the civil society organisations, communities, and industries that are concerned about this legislation, and it really paints um, yeah a really stark image of of just how deep and broad the concern is. I think the bill's called been called friendless by some. Who were the backbenchers who were present at your meeting with the Attorney General, Michaelia Cash? Well, it was a meeting that was um, Dave Sharma organised, so he um, was hosting it. And um, so the LGBTI organisations were largely from New South Wales and his electorate of Wentworth and people that lived there as well. But um, Trent Zimmerman, Dean Smith um, well, and Warren Inch were also there as well. I think I've got everyone. It was, a lar- it was quite a large meeting. But, I mean, as you know, um, the many of the... Um, that liberal backbenchers that <clears throat> stood up for our community uh, during the marriage equality debate and obviously Dean Smith brought forward uh, the legislation that was passed by Parliament. Um, they're the same MPs that um, are standing up for us in this debate as well and we've seen their comments in in the media about um, the need for, for, for laws to be balanced and for no steps to be taken backwards uh, for LGBTI equality. So the coalition's Rainbow Caucus members who were present, such as Trent Zimmerman, they must have raised concerns with Michaelia Cash at the meeting. Can you tell us what they said? Well, no, really the meeting was an opportunity to hear from LGBTIQ plus groups so that all of the politicians present were respectful of that. But I'm, okay. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot, of, a lot of other meetings happening as well. Can you tell us what other queer organisations were present at the meeting? I don't have the list in front of me, but I can just reel off a few. We have um, 2010, for example, and uh, the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, Rainbow Families, um, uh, you know, Teddy Cook, um, a transgender um, advocate known to many who's representative of ACON, but also um, OzPath, Joe Inkpen. Um, Joe is a transgender um, woman and a really incredible advocate and um, obviously a deeply religious person. So a whole range of perspectives from across the community um, and it was really quite powerful for, I think, for for those voices to be heard. I've obviously missed out quite a few, but um, uh, you caught me on the hop a bit. 
It must have been quite a passionate and articulate meeting. I mean, there must have been some very direct concerns raised. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine it was a kind of a, a kind of a quiet, meek meeting. Yeah, absolutely. We we saw um, uh, many of these advocates. Well, everyone really spoke in one voice about their concerns and the depth of those concerns and their their the anxiety and fear that our community is experiencing. And even the the impact of the debate itself um, was something that was discussed because, as we all know, uh, there there will be debate um, when when there are debates about. Uh, LGBTIQ plus uh, people in Parliament, and uh, this, you know, we're painted as um, somehow in opposition to religious uh, organisations or interests, which I think is deeply problematic. Obviously, we have many LGBTIQ plus people of faith out there, and and working towards um, affirming faith communities for all of all of those people is really important, um, so that. So the, that, was, that point was very much raised as well. What did the Attorney-General say when people spoke about the mental health impacts of this debate on the community and also just, you know, the demonisation of the community? Uh, she must have responded to that. Can you tell us what she said? Uh, yeah, I think she was, you know, just acknowledged that in, in response. I mean, um, I don't, I, you know, it was, a, it was about an hour-long hour meeting, so... I didn't take, um, yeah, I think she was responsive of those, to those concerns. You're listening to an interview with Anna Brown from Equality Australia on 3CRs in your face. There's been um, concerns raised on social media that uh, some community organisations have been negotiating with the Attorney General on the contents of the bill or negotiating with her office office on the contents of the religious discrimination bill. Is that true? Well, I mean, in this meeting, for example, and in every meeting that we have with the government, and we're trying to meet with as many uh, backbenchers and ministers, anyone that will see us um, on this legislation because we are so deeply concerned, um, the position is always very clear. This is a deeply... Um, concerning piece of legislation that our community stands to lose. Those concerns were really clearly voiced and, uh, you know, from our perspective, because we have a bit more um, legal knowledge or there was, there was other groups like the Inner City, Inner City Legal Centre there were able to go through the detail of the provisions and just how damaging they are and also bring bring to life case studies. So talk about the um, people like Karen Pack, Rachel Colvin and uh, Steph Lentz, the, the teachers uh, in religious schools, for example, that we've supported with their cases. So making sure that um, the Attorney-General and the, um, the backbenchers, but also anyone that we meet from across the parliament, is aware of the human cost of discrimination. Did Michaelia Cash give a confirmation date regarding when this will be introduced into the Australian Parliament? No, she didn't. So, um, But what we do know is that the Australian newspaper has published that uh, earlier this year she said that uh, it would. the idea was that it would be introduced before the end of the year and we only have one sitting week left uh, before the end of this year, which is the sitting week starting on the 22nd of November. So my guess is that it will be um, 
that there'll be those processes, the cabinet process and the party room process. And uh, if, if a bill is ready to be introduced, it would be introduced in that fortnight, which is why it's so important that people speak up now and contact their government MP or senator and let them know that they are concerned about this legislation. If the bill is introduced, um, we'll be doing um, as quick an analysis as we can of the detail. And as we all know, um, it's really important to look at the detail um, in these sorts of, um, with, with any legislation, but, but this legislation is particularly complicated um, and we'll be uh, holding a community briefing so and, and releasing materials and fact sheets so that the community can understand um, exactly what we're dealing with as soon as possible. It's interesting that she didn't confirm that it would be introduced in the final sitting week of Parliament this year. Do you think it's possible that they will just use this as a rhetorical device uh, to try and wedge Labor uh, during the upcoming election campaign rather than actually introducing it this year? It's interesting she didn't say that they would be. No, I mean, I think, I mean, I can't remember if we actually asked her that directly, um, but the but I suspect um, ministers can't often, I mean, if, if it's subject to a cabinet process, the timing um, is always a bit up in the air and and perhaps that perhaps that's why. But I think also we are approaching a federal election, as you say, and, and um, from my perspective, the last thing we, the last thing we want is a really damaging debate for our community um, on these issues. I hope that um, we can really, make the case for this bill not to proceed um, and and make the case for why the why the amendment why the um, sort of provisions that I talked about are just so concerning for our community but there's a long way to go before then we if it is introduced there may well be an inquiry um, which will be more debate um, more submissions and uh, and more parliamentary discussion so we you know I feel like we've been um, debating these issues for years. The good news is that we've seen some progress in jurisdictions like Victoria that we have a, a government that's brought forward um, improvements to equal opportunity laws that will limit discrimination uh, against LGBTIQ plus people in religious organisations and schools. Uh, so we'll also, at the same time as um, working hard to support those reforms in Victoria, uh, there'll, there'll likely be a debate at the federal level um, that we'll, we'll need to mobilise the community um, to get involved with as well and make sure that our voices are heard in that debate. Anna Brown, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, James.
Pollyanna there, save a prayer. Well, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival runs from November 18 to 29. And a chat with its program director, Spiro Economopoulos. Thank you for having me on. You must be so delighted the festival's proceeding this year. I am. It's a bit surreal, to be honest with you. I actually can't believe it's happening. As you know, it's been a long time. And the, the last time we actually had, we had a proper full festival now has was um, 2019 because obviously 2020 we were um, cut short four days in because of COVID. And I mean, it's so exquisite that you're in cinemas, you're online and you're in regional Victoria as well. We are, yeah. We're, we're, um, it's great to be able to do the regional programs this year alongside the main festival. Generally, we have the regions uh, roll out after the festival's wrapped, but it's really nice to be able to include it as part of the festival this time around. Tell us about the highlights for you personally. What films have really got you excited? Look, I'm really proud of our opening night film, Flea. This is a, a really sensational uh, hybrid uh, animation and documentary about a, a gay Afghani refugee who is recounting to a friend who's a journalist his experience of uh, resettling in his home, his home of Denmark uh, on the eve of him marrying his um, partner. Uh, it's a really powerful story. I think the theme of LGBTIQ um, asylum seekers is something that plays out throughout the festival in quite a few of our films, and we're really proud to present this. And, in fact, actually, Flea is the um, official Oscar selection from Denmark this year for um, Best International Feature, and uh, you know, I'm not surprised. It's really sensational. I was going to ask you about political themes. It sounds like focusing on queer asylum seekers was an editorial choice. Um, look, I think it's something that's really uh, playing out on a, on a, in a big way through a lot of the films we're getting, and I think it was really important to highlight, and I think in particular for us as well to feature it with the opening. We also have a, a panel um, that is speaking to those themes called Intersections, LGBTIQ Refugee Stories Through a Cinematic Lens, um, which discusses a lot of the themes uh, about um, a, queer asylum seekers through some of the the screenings that we have, like Someone Like Me and Instructions for Survival. And so I think um, it's a really important uh, story to highlight, particularly I think here where we we are, I think, fortunate in terms of the rights that we have. And I think we have to remember there's a lot of other LGBTI people that are are, are really uh, coming from places that don't have these same rights we do. It sounds like there's quite a few queer films being made internationally about queer asylum seekers. There are. There absolutely are, yeah. And I think um, it's a story that, uh, you know, we uh, are really privileged to be able to highlight in the program. Tell us about some of the other political themes uh, the festival explores. Well, um, Someone Like Me was the documentary that I just quickly mentioned as well. And it's a really interesting uh, doco about a group called the Rainbow Refugee. And they're a, they're a group of uh, philanthropic LGBTIQ plus people whose uh, role is to resettle asylum seekers um, in new countries. This is from Canada. But what's complicated this uh, sort of resettlement, I think, in story is the uh, idea of COVID coming into the whole factor and what that means for these people coming into new countries and socialising essentially in a, in a space where suddenly uh, everyone's locked down and you're not you're not being able to connect. And I think that that adds like a further layer of complication and obviously that sort of drives a lot of the, the power of the narrative in this one. I imagine we see a few films focusing on lockdown. Have you got any others? 
there are a few titles that, ha- that play throughout it. And interestingly enough, um, they're not as many as you'd imagine. I think, if anything, COVID, when it does pop up in the stories that we're screening, happens a lot more in the background. And, you know, I think, unfortunately for us now, COVID is a little bit of the new normal, isn't it? So it's something that's part of our daily lives and the way that it's treated within the the films that we're screening is very similar, aside from, as I mentioned, someone like me, which becomes becomes a bit of a thematic thing as well. Were there any films where you debated showing them because they might be too controversial? And if so, what is it? Um, Not really, to be honest with you. I think think the program that we've tried to put together is a diverse program. I think it's one that we we, we thought about being able to speak to as many different parts of our community um, that we have. Um, As you know, the queer community is not a homogenous whole and it's very diverse and uh, we try to remain as you know neutral and diverse as we possibly can when we're programming these films and hopefully are able to represent everyone where, where we can as well. I know you watch an enormous number of films. What was the movie where you went, I just love this personally. I've got to show this. Oh, wow. Um, well, I would say uh, that would probably be Great Freedom was the one that really jumped out for me. I think it's this absolutely sensational um, drama from Austria. It was on the Cannes Film Festival this year where it won the um, Jury Prize as well. And it's in a really incredible drama about the notorious paragraph 175, which uh, saw lots of um, homosexuals incarcerated uh, during the Second World War and also afterwards. So a lot of these um, men that found themselves um, in prison in concentration camps or being gay had come out to freedom and then found themselves in jail again for their crime of just being homosexual. And this is a really incredible journey about this one particular man uh, and his long-term incarceration over the year, the years and the relationship he built with someone else in prison. It's kind of like a, a love story essentially, but incredible film, like amazing performances. Um, yeah, I really adored it. And what about the film that made you laugh the most? Oh, the film that made me laugh the lowest. Well, I tell you what, the film that kind of gave me the most joy, I suppose, was a, a movie called Anaïs in Love, which is a, a French film uh, that I feel like is, in terms of its sensibility, is very much in the vein of a, a classic kind of French New Wave film. It's got a real lightness to it um, and a really fresh sensibility as well. It's about a young woman who it, the story itself sounds like it's kind of like your typical French film about a young woman falling for an older man but what happens in the story is that she meets the man's wife and instantly falls for her instead and um, it's a really playful film and I really like the way that it treated its um, subject matter. Anything that made you cry? Oh god I think everything made me cry but uh, um, no actually I'd say that the film that probably made me cry, uh, well, Flea, I think, is quite emotional, but um, our centerpiece film, Summertime, and it, I think it made me teary for uh, not the reasons you'd think. I think Summertime uh, is a film that celebrates the um, diversity that a big city can bring, and it's like a real celebration of the melting pot that uh, a big city is sometimes, in particular, in this case, um, L.A., um, but the film itself just gave me so much joy and I actually ended up watching it twice and I think, you know, the second time I watched it, it was during the, the last lockdown and I think having those kind of 
those joyful kind of moments uh, was just really some they just kind of really hit me in such a good way. So I thought I thought it was a really lovely film. Now you love your queer sci-fi. What have you got for us there? Well, we're actually showcasing uh, a spotlight on uh, queer sort of genre horror sci-fi uh, thriller stuff called Freak Out. Um, we were we, we get a lot of films throughout the festival that are sort of genre based, and I think queer queer punters have always been fans of um, you know horror in a way, and I think everyone's just catching up to that fact now. So there's a lot of films that are coming out that are sort of horror based, and so the freak out short the freak out showcase that we have has a, a feature film called The Retreat, uh, which is essentially like a lesbian slasher meets Get Out. And a really great shorts package, which uh, has um, lots of different stories and themes in it that are kind of genre tinge, like dystopian sci-fi and thriller. And, you know, I think we kind of forget that, you know, as early as Frankenstein, which was directed by a gay man, queers have, queers have been steering the horror, horror sort of genre for a very long time. And don't get enough credit for it, in my view. I agree. I agree. Tell us about the shorts. Uh, tell us more about the shorts that really jumped out for you across the board. Well, look, you know, we, we have a lot of the, our returning shorts and favourites back again this year. Um, we, you know, the Australian Shorts uh, Showcase is always something that's super popular at our festival and it's an opportunity for people to see, you know, young queer Australian filmmakers of the future that are going to be going on to do amazing stuff, no doubt. Uh, we have a a great uh, short from the state of Palestine this year for the first time, which is really exciting, which is playing in our Guy and Guy shorts package. Um, we have, uh, as I mentioned, one of our new showcases, which is our Freak Out shorts package. And it, overall, I think for me, the, the shorts packages are probably the most fun to program. I, I really love putting them together. And also there's so much out there um, to choose from. And I think uh, it's really great to be able to kind of put these, these films out um, for our audiences. The community is talking a lot about religious freedom and religious discrimination. Anything that touches on those themes? Religious freedom and religious discrimination. Uh, we have a documentary, actually, uh, called uh, Sex, Revolution and Islam, and it's about uh, feminist and civil rights activist and Iman uh, Seran Attis, who uh, is a an imam, an imam is a Muslim leader, essentially, and Seran uh, basically, uh, this is, a, 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 I think, a really interesting documentary about all those different issues that kind of come into play, um, being a, a woman and being an imam, and kind of, I think, embracing and tackling a lot of the issues that, that come through in terms of traditional Islam law, contemporary Islam, and the space that LGBTQ plus people inhabit in it as well. And I think it's a, a really fascinating documentary. You're listening to an interview with Spiro Economopoulos from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival on 3CR's Near Face. You must be feeding us a feast on gender diversity in film. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, look, there are, and I think there's some really great stuff playing out. And I think the most interesting one for me is a movie called Firebirds, actually, which is from uh, Mexico, and uh, it's a... Sorry, not, sorry, not Firebirds, Finlandia. Uh, it's from Mexico. We do have a film called Firebirds as well, uh, which is about the uh, uh, the Mujeres, which are Muxes, who are uh, transgender and non-binary um, indigenous people, uh, you know, of Oaxaca in Mexico, 
Um, and it's actually a really interesting story about the way that the, the Western fashion industry can co-opt a lot of, of, I think, Indigenous people's clothes and fashion to their own purposes. And it becomes a really interesting story about that. And yeah, really, really great film. And just aside from that, visually just beautiful. And I think something that people should try and see in the big screen. Always got to take your hat off to Mexican filmmakers. They do exquisite films. They do. They actually really do. There's a lot of great stuff coming out from there at the moment, I'm, I'm finding. The festival's going to Ballarat and Shepparton. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's part of our regional rollout, which we're really excited about. We've been to Ballarat and Shepparton before, and it's really great to be able to, you know, there's a really great queer audience there that um, embrace our film. So we're excited to be able to bring, you know, our opening night film, Flea, for example, will be playing there, and uh, another really wonderful film called Tovi. So we're really committed to um, expanding and reaching out to our um, regional LGBTIQ brothers and sisters um, and uh, trying to bring queer cinema to them as well. And that's that's also, I think, one of the advantages of having the MQFF Plus as well, which is our online showcase, so we can reach uh, as wide audience as we can. Absolutely. It's so wonderful you're doing that. I know a lot of people still don't quite feel safe venturing out into cinemas uh, with COVID numbers the way that they are. So that must be really reassuring for people. They can see some awesome films online. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think also, we, you know, you, we need to reassure audiences that are coming to the cinema that, you know, we are trying to create a safe environment as we possibly can. We're obviously working with the cinemas to ensure that happens and we have our own safety protocols in terms of how we're being COVID safe as well. The festival always has a huge lesbian following. What will the lesbians love? Well, they are going to love Anais and Love, I hope, so definitely worth checking that one out. Uh, A film called Tovi, which is uh, a really great drama about Tovi Jansen, who is the creator of this very famous uh, animated character called the Moomins, who I didn't know a lot about, but it's a really, really wonderful biography about um, that uh, author. And also a, a really great film from the UK called Sweetheart, which is a, a sort of young coming-of-age sort of coming-out film, um, very much about family as well and about a, a young woman's sort of relationship with her mother and her extended family Um and we recently won the Audience Award at the Glasgow Film Festival as well. So it's a really great film. Anything that explores queer musicians? Uh, yes. Oh, queer musicians, actually. Well, we do, in fact. Our Closing Night film uh, is a really fantastic documentary called Fanny, The Right to Rock. And uh, Fanny, I think, is a really uh, long overdue uh, celebration of these uh, musicians, uh, these women who were kind of coming uh, to their own in, in the 70s in America, in, in a, particularly in a very kind of masculine sort of misogynistic environment in the rock industry. And I think the documentary explores that, celebrates the legacy. They've got a lot of very famous fans, people like David Bowie, who uh, have name-checked them many times. And I think uh, it's a, a really, really, really fun documentary. What about documentaries on activism? Is there anything that really jumps out for you? Well, uh, activism, yeah. Documentary-wise, I would kind of, as I said, I think I mentioned the Serian Atters one. Uh, Someone Like Me, I think, is a really fascinating one to to check out as well. Um, I think those two are really ones that... Oh, Instructions for Survival, I think, is a really interesting doco from um, Germany. 
um, about a transgender um, German man in Georgia. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. Anything that focuses on Russia at all? Uh, not not directly, actually. I have to say. Um, so yeah, I think I think the yeah, not nothing directly. I would say. Tell us a bit more about some of the emerging queer film nations. You mentioned the Palestinian state before. Yeah, and also which we're very excited to be screening that that wonderful short Barakas, which is really exciting. Um, uh, I was trying to remember how many films from Palestine we've actually had in the past, so I was really thrilled to be able to get this for the program. Um, the other one worth mentioning is a really wonderful movie called Kapana, and this is actually one of the first ever LGBTIQ features from Namibia. So I think uh, it was very excited for us to be able to screen this film. And, you know, for us, when we, when we see these movies come out, it's really important for us to put those stories to the forefront and celebrate them. It really sounds like, you know, you're thinking beyond, you know, Western Europe and North America with the festival. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, in, in regards to the content we have, I would say we have, you know, like over 60 features, shorts and documentaries that are in a language other than English. And I think, you know, our focus necessarily now isn't just North America. Any queer films from Australia? Uh, we we have a, an amazing Australian short showcase, which I'm really excited about. And as I said, that's one of our most popular ones. Uh, we're screening our Queer Lives in Isolation shorts, uh, which were all from Australia. And um, this was a, a group of shorts that we funded um, earlier on the in the year as a response to the COVID pandemic. And also, uh, we're doing well, which is our Pitch Please winning short. And we're doing well. It's going to be screening before our feature at the opening um, on um, next Thursday night. Anything made in Melbourne that you really loved? Uh, oh, that's a good question, actually. Uh, we have a, some really great, uh, I think, again, in the Australian Short Showcase, um, we, we do have quite a few Melbourne ones. Um, I'm just looking through the list now, actually, to see which ones stand out. I hate picking those because they're all good, but... Um, yeah, uh, Fireworks, I think, is actually a lot of fun as well by Sam McGowan. And Sam McGowan's a, a returning filmmaker for us and he's had quite a few uh, films in our, in our program and it's really nice to see a young queer filmmaker developing their craft and, and watching their progression through um, the festival. Not surprisingly, it sounds like the Australian film industry has really struggled during COVID, especially things with a queer bent. I think so. I think, I think you know, obviously not just the film industry, but the arts in general has had a really rough time during COVID. And I think there hasn't necessarily been a really clear line of support for artists, particularly uh, from the government. I feel like we were sort of left a little bit on the wayside in certain respects. So I think it was important more than ever to be able to um, showcase um, these films where we can. And also for us as a festival to be able to find a way to kind of get back into cinemas again. Absolutely. It sounds like this festival is incredibly significant for bringing Melbourne's queer community together again. Yeah, absolutely. Give us those details so people can rock along uh, to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. When's it start? When's it finish? And all the stuff in between. All right. So we start on November 18th to 29. Uh, you can get tickets on nqff.com.au. You can also download the app and buy tickets from there as well. Uh, and our online component, NQFF Plus, um, starts on the 22nd of November to the 29th. Not all the films 
uh, in the in cinema part will be screening as part of the online component. So check our website for details. And a lot of the online films as well are limited in terms of the dates and times that are available. So make sure you factor that in when you're booking your films. Spiro Economopoulos, thank you so much for chatting with me on 3CR. My pleasure. Thank you so much. 3CR. Local issues, 
So I'm here at the school, kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMARC. Your voices. So give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening. There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbohina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio, your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.
And that was The Cure with a Forest. We also heard from Jebediah with Pace It. Taking us out are the breeders with Invisible Man. We'll catch you next week on Your Face. face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.